This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 14th, 2019. I'm Caleb Brown. A new proposal to cap interest rates at 15 percent throughout much of the economy would cut many people out of the market for credit entirely. And those who are unbanked and do not qualify for even the most rudimentary banking services would face special hardship. Cato's Diego Zuluaga has poured over the proposal. He comments. Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and uh, Senator Bernie Sanders would like to cap interest rates on credit cards, uh, recreate a system of postal banking in which the post office would be providing banking services. Uh, and I, you'll tell me what the what the limits on those services are that they would like to provide. But in general, what do we know about how credit cards function, who pays the bills, and why 15% uh, would cut a lot of people out of the market for credit cards entirely. Right. So the first thing to state is that people use credit cards to pay for everyday expenses. Most Americans do. Um, the outstanding balance on credit cards in the United States right now is somewhere around $800, $900 billion, almost a trillion dollars. Um, and it's just an everyday means of payment. Uh, most people don't carry credit card balances, of course, but some people do. Some people borrow for longer than the month during which they have an outstanding balance. And uh, the average rate on credit cards right now is something like 17, 18%. And, now, and, and that is the average, right? They go, right. They, it, it extends far higher and for a select group of people, presumably lower. That's right. So I would say there are a couple of clusters there. One would be around the 16, 17, you know, sometimes even 14% range. And then a lot of them, particularly the higher rewards cards or cards that are aimed at people with lower credit scores, they have higher APRs, 20, 24, 25%, right? Uh, a lot of states use 36% as the reference rate uh, for prime credit. So that would be sort of like an upper bound here. Now, Alexandria and uh, and uh, Bernie are proposing to cap all interest rates nationwide in the United States at 15%. So this would apply to credit cards, notably because this is the, the main form of unsecured credit in the US, uh, but also to payday loans to other forms of consumer credit. So what we're talking about here is a major, major intervention into credit markets, which would drive out lending to a lot of people who currently are too risky to, uh, to, to be able to lend profitably at 15%. You mentioned before we started recording that uh, Adam Smith the great economist, the father of economics, um, was uh, supportive in general of some kind of limit on usury, on interest, on money borrowed. Adam Smith uh, was had an interesting view on this. He he wrote, and of course, you know, this is in the late eighteenth century, a very different world. But he wrote that there should be a limit, a usury cap of some sort, a limit on the interest rate that lenders could charge. It should be, he said, above the market rate to make sure it didn't distort markets too much. But his view was that too high an interest rate would encourage quote prodigals and projectors to receive credit, by which he meant people who would borrow money to spend on themselves unproductively and never would pay back, and people who had crazy projects that were very risky, uh, that maybe held some promise but probably would fail, would be able to get credit. In a, in a completely free market for credit. And he said that that wasn't the right thing to do, that credit should flow to people who are reliable and safe and established and so on. Now, 
I disagree with Adam Smith, and it looks like at the end of his life, uh, with and, uh, after discussions with Jeremy Bentham, the uh, great uh, philosopher, he started to change his mind, although we have no written proof of it. However, where I think he made a good point is that in a world where interest rates are capped, it's only the established, the people with a record, the people with collateral, with a house, with a car, with some sort of record on which to run, who can get credit. And so if you're a new arrival, if you're a challenger, if you're an immigrant, if you're someone with an idea and very little else, you will struggle to get credit under affordable conditions. And that makes our economy not only less dynamic, but probably less equitable. The argument that uh, Representative Ocasio-Cortez and Senator Sanders are offering is sort of the the flip side of that, whereas Adam Smith was concerned about people just going out and somehow uh, securing credit and, and using that money unproductively, their concern is the exploitation of the people who are engaging in the borrowing, the people who are having a very difficult time. That's right. I think it's a legitimate concern. I doubt that the people they are trying to help would actually benefit from this kind of legislation. The evidence we have from around the world, and we have, you know, usury caps are about the oldest financial regulation we have. It's in the Bible that thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother. Uh, Aristotle spoke against it. But despite this moral objection to interest charging, what we get from the evidence around the world is that low-income people, um, people who are of limited means, who, ha- who are in hard-pressed conditions, suffer under a system of usury rates simply because whatever credit becomes available will just go to the best credits. So the people that um, AOC and Bernie are trying to help just won't get much credit under this system because they are perceived as too risky. So simply, they, they just will be remain outside the, the mainstream credit system. There is a... a- you know, when this idea was originally announced, I sort of made a joke on Twitter and said, oh, I'm going to secretly buy stock in payday lenders now because that would seem like a relatively uh, better option for a lot of people who cannot access credit. But what you're saying is that uh, th- this is being a nationwide cap of 15% interest basically means that payday lenders would either cease to exist or would shrink dramatically. That's right. They, I mean, they would basically cease to exist. Now, now a lot of people would say, well, that's a good thing, right? I, payday lenders are exploitative. They take uh, large chunks of people's uh, paychecks. The effective interest rate uh, that uh, people uh, ha- must pay is can be very high. Um, but at the same time, this th- these services are for people who do not typically have access to traditional banking services. That's right. If you look, and this is data from the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, if you look at the profile of the payday borrower, it's something, it's someone with a credit score of say 530, 540. People who have applied for credit cards and don't get them, even subprime credit cards, people who have no access to other forms of credit, people who cannot get credit from banks or credit unions because um, they they wouldn't qualify for such type of credit. So they have very few other options. Uh, The other thing to say is that it's funny because you look at surveys of the general U.S. population on payday lending, and the views are very unfavorable. Most people don't like payday loans, and they think they should be very strictly regulated or even banned. When you actually narrow down the survey to the people who use these products, the views become much more favorable. So I think here what we have is an issue of 
optics and understanding of the product. People think these things are harmful, not helpful to the people who use them. But the people who use them, most of them, of course, some people have a bad experience of them. I'm not saying there aren't any unscrupulous lenders. But for most people, they serve a very useful uh, function of providing emergency liquidity, which otherwise they simply wouldn't have access to. So in, in effect, what you're left with is what seems to be a sort of let them eat cake attitude toward very low income people who cannot get bank accounts and the option that they would otherwise use uh, would be effectively prohibited. Yeah, it's interesting because this particular legislation targets a number of very different people. 15% on credit card interest means that most prime borrowers will be affected. Who knows how credit card uh, issuers, how banks are going to react to that. They could raise fees that they charge merchants for people to use credit cards. They could limit the extent to which they issue credit cards to regular people. Um, and then the usury rate element, the general usury rate element, affects very subprime, very hard-pressed, credit-constrained borrowers as well. So what we have here is a situation where most people actually would probably suffer adverse consequences from it. And as I say, global evidence around the impact of this type of regulation, and then the evidence in the United States since Dodd-Frank with something called the Durbin Amendment, which capped the fees that debit cards could charge or banks could charge on, on debit cards, uh, is very negative. Usually, no, consumers don't benefit and choice and options are reduced. And rewards debit cards were just went away. That's right. And banks started charging for checking accounts and raised minimum balances. And if you actually think about the, the, the mechanism by which these things operate, it's actually the people on low balances, the people with a relatively basic checking account who suffer the most. It's not the ones who have 4,000, 5,000 in their bank account on a regular basis. Yeah, people who get dinged for uh, having an inadequately uh, an inadequate balance or uh, people who overdraft or something like that get hit hit with, you know, $36, $100. Exactly, which often amounts to more than the interest they would pay would they use an alternative product that regulation has made impossible. So I said that was a, it was, seemed like a let them eat cake attitude. But the other half of this is that uh, AOC and Bernie Sanders want to create or recreate rather a system of postal banking in which the post office, which is in most places in the United States, even very small ones, even very remote ones, um, to allow post off the post office to provide some traditional banking services. Does that extend to lending? Yes, it would. According to them, they would the post the the, the, the postal banking system would then provide small dollar loans, consumer loans. Uh, I, you know, potentially even car loans and maybe mortgages uh, in the future. The problem is, what sort of history does the postal service have of underwriting people, of assessing people's credit, of making sure that they um, come up with a balance sheet where risks are appropriately diversified uh, and managed? People say, oh, we had postal banking before the late 1960s. Well, it was a very different world in which most of the people we're trying to help now, namely low-income people, minorities, immigrants, didn't have access to any credit because statutorily it wasn't a goal to help those people. That's a very different world from the one we currently have. And if you're proposing postal banking to try and address those goals, 
I would wager that that's quite an inefficient way of going about it. And a much better way is to encourage banks to actually provide small dollar credit again uh, to individuals and households, which they've been discouraged from doing since 2013 because of regulation. Uh, and if I understand correctly right now, there is a government body that sets rates for the post office, the Postal Rate Commission, presumably a government agency would be in charge of determining uh, what due diligence looks like when it comes to making decisions about lending uh, and uh, what kind of terms uh, the, the Postal Service would have to offer to people. And I can see that the uh, in the, down the road a few years, the notion that, well, there's too much political pressure, uh, we need to continue extending this credit in this way, and then taxpayers effectively would absorb it. Absolutely right. And the, the one of the tricky things about this as well is that typically the way these bodies go about setting rates, it's a nominal value. They will say, okay, the rate on consumer loans is going to be 7.5%. Now, Imagine that we go back to a world like the 1970s where inflation is very high and the Federal Reserve targets a much higher interest rate to make sure that inflation can be uh, contained um, at 15 or 20%. Then all of a sudden you find yourself with a consistently loss-making institution making loans to people and a, a tremendous political difficulty in adjusting those rates. And so what we have is, as you say, a, a permanently taxpayer-subsidized banking system, which um, is politically dysfunctional and very difficult to reform. Diego Zuluaga is a policy analyst at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. <laughs>